As Pastor Ben mentioned at the beginning, the service looks a little different today, and one of those differences is you're getting two sermons for the price of one, and uh, Owen and I have promised that we will try to keep the length of two sermons together equal to the length of one regular sermon, but we'll see how it goes. I'm not terribly confident in that, but we'll see what happens. John chapter 16. I just want to look at one verse this morning. John chapter 16, I'm going to read verse 33. This is God's word, please give it your full attention. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Pastor Ben introduced our Advent series of sermons last week with a focus on the theme of comfort, the comfort that we have in Christ. But I'm going to interrupt that Advent series in order to think just for a moment this morning about discomfort. We have a continual longing for comfort as we live in this world. Due to Adam's sin, And due to the curse upon the creation as a result of Adam's sin, this world is full of trouble. As Jesus says in this verse I just read, in the world you will have tribulation. What kind of tribulation? Well, sickness, physical pain, physical suffering, and our bodies weaken as we age. In our work, we suffer frustration, thorns and thistles, failure. In our relationships, we suffer emotionally. We endure conflict and brokenness. And we are damaged by our own sins and damaged by the sins of others against us. That's life in a fallen world. In this world, you have tribulation, Jesus said. When Jesus saves his people and he changes his people, we face new uncomfortable realities. Instead of following the desires of our heart, we are called upon to fight the sinful desires of our hearts. We are not only at war with our sin, we're at war with Satan and all the forces arrayed against us. Instead of drifting along with the moral values of our culture, fitting in and conforming, We have to swim upstream, fight the strong current of the world against us. And we are on a new mission in life. Instead of a mission to glorify ourselves, we're on a mission to glorify Christ, to represent him before the world, to hold on to the truth that he's given us and to share that truth with the world. And the world, by and large, hates that truth and persecutes those who hold to it. In this world, you will have tribulation. The bottom line is that life in this fallen world is inherently uncomfortable, especially for followers of Jesus Christ. From the moment we're born, we long for comfort. We long the comfort of our nursing mother. We long the comfort of our blanket, the comfort of our teddy bear. 
We long for the comfort of toys, the comfort of friends, the comfort of pets, the comfort of wealth, the comfort of our career. But most of us realize that this world has no lasting comfort to offer us. All those things can pacify us for a while, but in the end, everything goes away. There is no comfort in this fallen world. At the end of this month, we are going to be sending out 20% of our people here at Oakwood, including a very much-loved pastor and a very well-loved elder. Why are we discomforting ourselves in such a way? Why are we making these sacrifices? One thing I learned early as a new believer, and especially once I got into pastoral ministry, is that if you're going to be in any kind of ministry, you're going to live outside your comfort zone. Worldly comfort can't be your goal any longer. And you have to be willing to give it up readily for the sake of the kingdom. What is the source of our comfort for those of us who are followers of Christ? Where do we find lasting comfort? as we live in this fallen world as born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, really, that's what chapters 14 through 16 in John's Gospel are all about. This part of John's Gospel contains Jesus' last teaching to his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure. This is the night before. They've had the Last Supper together, and it's the night before he's to go to the cross. And his disciples have no idea what's coming. And he's preparing them for his departure, for his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And so in chapters 14, 15, and 16, he's preparing them for life and ministry after his physical presence is removed from them and taken to heaven. And here in this last verse, this is the last words, the very last words of Jesus to his disciples before he prays for them and then goes to his crucifixion. He says that in the world we will have tribulation, but in him we can have peace. That's the key to comfort for followers of Christ and only for followers of Christ. In Christ you can have peace. It's the peace that he describes back in verse 27 of chapter 14 when he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How do we get that kind of peace? That kind of inner strength, that inner satisfaction of the soul that can sustain us when we are deprived and suffering and in conflict with the world. How do we get that peace? Well, Jesus spells it out for us in this single verse. He begins by saying, you find that peace in my promises. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I said these things to you. I've given you my word. What he's talking about is particularly the last three chapters where he's been preparing them. But also, all of God's word has been given to them to give them that inner peace. Just looking at the three chapters, chapters 14, 15, and 16, let me share with you just a sampling 
of the promises that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to myself. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And if you know the original language, other translations, I'll give you another comforter. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all the truth. If anyone loves me, he says, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then just a few verses earlier, he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And that becomes a theme for the Christian life, isn't it? Your sorrow will be turned to joy. These and all the other promises of God's word from Genesis to Revelation produce that inner peace that lasts, that sustains, that can stand against the greatest attacks of the evil one and the greatest suffering and persecution this world has to deal out. But it's more than an intellectual thing. It's not just hearing the promises of God's word that Jesus gives to his disciples. It's more than assenting to it intellectually. It's actually an, inter, inter, it's actually an, an experiential truth. It's something that you live every day of your life. You don't just believe it, but you live it. And that's the second key to having this lasting inner peace. It's being in Christ. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I've said many times that the most important phrase is that tiny little phrase that is expounded upon in every New Testament book. In me, in Christ. In Christ is the key to all true theology. To be in Christ is to be at peace with God. And it's the only way to be at peace with God. To be in Christ is to have his death on the cross, pay the penalty for your sin, and to have his perfect righteousness accounted to you by faith. That's what it means to be in Christ. That means every day you live the reality that you do not live under the cloud of God's condemnation and judgment. You are free from the penalty of sin because you are in Christ by faith. Secondly, to be in Christ is, according to Romans 6, to die with Christ to the power of sin and to be raised to a new life where you are free from that power of sin. You were a slave to sin and now you're free to obey through the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You're freed from the penalty of sin. You're freed from the power of sin. And also to be in Christ, here's the really experiential part of it, is to have the presence of Christ. 24-7. To be in Christ is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. To have the presence of God with you at all times, no matter what your circumstances are. That's what it means to be in Christ. And the reality of being in Christ, of living that out every day, 
is something that not only can all the suffering and attacks and evil deeds of the world, not only can that not diminish it or take it away, that peace, it actually strengthens that peace. That's the wonderful thing about the peace of Christ, that if you are living by faith in Christ, then all the hardships of living under the curse in this fallen world and being involved in all the spiritual warfare that you're in every day, it actually strengthens your faith and deepens this inner peace, this strength of soul that you deeply long for. But then Jesus gives us one more basis for lasting peace. And that's his victory. His final word, the very last words he said to his disciples before he turned to pray for them and then went to the cross were these words. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice he speaks as though it's already accomplished. That's what they call the prophetic perfect tense. The way the prophets talked about the saving work of God. The prophets of the Old Testament would speak about the saving work of God from beginning to end as though it was already accomplished in their day. Why? Because when God promises something, he will do it. God is faithful to his promises. And if you know that by experience, then you will have an inner peace that nobody can take away from you. The end of your story the end of your journey of faith as a follower of Christ is guaranteed to be happily ever after. That's why we want all of our stories, all our children's stories, but even all our adult stories, our movies, our television shows, we want them all to end with a happily ever after. But only in Christ is that guaranteed to you. You will be delivered completely from the penalty and the power of sin, and you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Son of God, the presence of God the Father for eternity. That's why Romans 8 finishes by saying, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Somebody once said, matter of fact, one of my favorite commentaries on the book of Revelation it's titled More Than Conquerors because that's the theme of the last word of the Bible is that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's why we take risks in ministry. That's why we exit our comfort zone in order to do ministry because we know that ultimately there is no risk in the kingdom of God. Anything you do in obedience to the will of God, anything you do in faith has a happily ever after ending to it. It may look like failure in this world, but we know that in the kingdom of God, things are often turned upside down. What looks like failure here, something like a crucifixion, ends up in resurrection. J.R.R. Tolkien once said, the birth and death of resurrection of Jesus means that one day, everything sad will come untrue. When I came into the PCA, our denomination, back in 1992, I accepted a call to a church in the Philadelphia suburbs. It had started back in the 1940s, and back in the 1940s, that part of the Philadelphia suburbs was entirely farmland, forest, country. But from the time between the 40s and the 90s, when I started to do ministry there, it had been swallowed up in a 
wave of suburban growth, and it had turned out, it stopped being in a rural area, and now it was a place of, of upper middle class uh, overpopulation. But unfortunately, the church through that generation had never really adjusted, and it was still very much kind of a little rural blue-collar church in the midst of an environment that had changed dramatically. Well, as we began to minister together, the, God grew the church from about 50 people to about 100 people, and we realized that we had outgrown our building. See, it had always been a little country church, and it wasn't ever prepared to grow that large, even though that's small by most people's standards. So we didn't, we couldn't, we didn't have enough property to build onto the building, and if we, even if we did build something on the building, we wouldn't have taken all of our parking. So we just didn't have a choice. We felt we talked about it, prayed about it as a leadership, and we said, we don't have a choice. We need to sell this property that the church had had for decades. We need to sell it, and we need to start meeting somewhere in a rented facility and hope that somehow the Lord will provide a piece of property in this expensive suburb where we could build a new church. That was the plan. Some of the members of the church strongly opposed the plan. They said, there's too much risk involved in that. They said, we like our church the size it is. We know everybody. Everything's really comfortable. And we said, well, okay, if you don't want to follow the plan of the leadership, then the only other plan left to us is put up a no vacancy sign in front of the church. And is that really an option for any church to put up a no vacancy sign? Just try to maintain the status quo? Well, we began for the next 10 years, we met in schools, in auditoriums, and we were homeless. We were a homeless ministry for a decade until the Lord provided a wonderful facility and that church is still growing and prospering today. I say all that because I learned a key principle of church revitalization, not church planting, but how God revitalizes churches. Very simple principle I learned through that experience. That established and comfortable churches need to figure out how to act like a church plant. Never lose the mindset of a church plant because a church plant is willing to risk all to do a new thing, to see God do a new thing in their midst. And that's how every church should think. That's how Oakwood is thinking about this project of planting a church in Belfont. We want to be a church that's driven by the Great Commission, not by earthly comfort. It's uncomfortable for Oakwood to give up beloved brothers and sisters to another congregation. It's uncomfortable to fill the holes of leadership and service that these people are going to leave here at Oakwood. It's uncomfortable to take on the risk and the hard work of caring for a building that's 150 years old and has been somewhat neglected for a generation. It's uncomfortable. It's costly. It's sacrificial in earthly terms. If earthly comfort was a significant value in our ministry, we wouldn't be doing this. But our peace and our comfort is in Christ. Seeing him glorified, seeing sinners saved by grace, seeing biblical Christ-centered churches multiply, as our vision says, to bear fruit, and branch out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the past year, the leaders of this church have prayed about this, we've talked about it, we've planned for it, and we are united and unanimous in believing this is God's will 
for this ministry and for the new church in Belfont, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. There will be much tribulation. But take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promises. Our lives are built upon your promises. This ministry is built upon your promises. We proclaim before the world that you are faithful. And that doesn't mean that we're going to multiply churches or that the church in Belfont is going to become what we dream it's going to be. You have a plan. We don't know what that plan looks like. We just know that when we act in faith, resting in Christ, that you will bless us in ways that we can't even imagine today. And we look forward to that journey of faith that we know ends in the victory of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your work in our midst. We look to you to guide and direct. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.